Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Hi there. In the last couple of weeks we've been talking about the fact that we function best as human beings when we align ourselves with God's purpose for us, the purpose for which He created us. Uh, we were talking about the fact that if you use consistently use something in a way that's contrary to its purpose, it eventually breaks. And we've said that we see that in, in, in our lives. And we spoke about rest and work and how we need to rest like God rested. He created us amongst for others for rest. Um, but mainly we spoke about uh, last time the fact that we created to reflect God and to represent God. And that everything else that we do flows out of that. Our main purpose is to represent God. Now you can use something for... You know, you can use an object for something that's outside of its purpose and contrary even to its purpose. Um, but like we said, it will eventually break. And we as human beings, unless we line up with what God created us for to represent Him, we will eventually break. Some of the areas in which we need to represent God spoke about resting, um, also relating. We, 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 created as relational beings in God's image to, to relate to one another for relationship, for community, uh, also reproducing, um, then resting like I uh, already mentioned, and then um, ruling and reforming, which, which we're going to speak about today. And, and those two mainly have to do with work. Now, work is very important to us. Most of us spend... For most of us, work takes up the bulk of our waking hours. We spend a lot of time working. And um, a wrong view of work will, will lead us to either, um, to either see work as all-important or as unimportant. We as human beings easily fall to one of these two um, opposites. Uh, extremes, these two extremes. But the Bible gives us a balance, the most balanced, the most empowering, and I think the most thoroughgoing view of work uh, in any tradition comes from from the Bible. So the Bible teaches us that we don't just um, live to work or work to live, um, but work plays an important and integral part uh, in our lives. And also, you know, as Christians, it's, it's very easy for us to fall into the trap of seeing work only as a place where we can do evangelism and make disciples. Now, of course, the workplace is, we should make disciples in the workplace, but that's not the only thing we can do uh, in the workplace. Our, our actual work is part of our calling. So um, the Bible in general and the first few chapters of uh Genesis in particular, show us why our work can be both on the one hand so rewarding and on the other hand so frustrating. And I don't think anything else gives us as balanced a view of work as the Bible does. So uh, let's look at that. I'm just going to pray for us and then I'm going to start by um, just summarizing a little story I think that I found very helpful. Father, we just want to thank you that... You teach us what work is all about, what work is supposed to be about, and that you model for us the right way to work. 
And we pray that as we look at your word, Lord, that, that we'll see in you, Father, what we are supposed to be, how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to work and serve. And we just open up our hearts to receive from you. Please instruct us through your word in Jesus' name. So the story I want to read, um, actually it's just a summary of a story that I want to read. It's by J.R.R. Tolkien, the famous author of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And he wrote a little short story called Leaf by Nigel. And um, in this short story, it's, it's, it's all about a painter named Nigel. Uh, let me just read f- uh, for you. It says, in the first lines of the story, we are told two things about this painter. First, his name is Nigel. The Oxford English Dictionary to which Tolkien was a contrib- contributor defines Nigel as to work in a fiddling and ineffective way to spend time unnecessarily on petty details. Nigel was, of course, Tolkien himself, who knew very well this was one of his own flaws. He was a perfectionist, always unhappy with uh, what he had produced, often distracted from more important issues by fussing over less important details, prone to worry and procrastination. Nigel was the same. We are also told that Nigel had a long journey to, ta- to make, he, he did not want to go. Indeed, the whole idea was distasteful to him, but he could not get out of it. Nigel continually put uh, the journey off, but he knew it was inevitable. Tom Shippey, who also taught Old English literature at Oxford, explains that in Anglo-Saxon literature, the necessary long journey was death. Nigel had one picture in particular that he was trying to paint. He had gotten into his mind the picture of a leaf and then that of a whole tree and then in his imagination behind the tree a country began to open out and there were glimpses of a forest marching over the land and of mountains tipped with snow. Nigel lost interest in all his other pictures and in order to accommodate his vision he laid out a canvas so large that he needed a ladder. Nigel knew he had to die but he told himself At any rate, I shall get this one picture done, my real picture, before I have to go on that wretched journey. So he worked on his canvas, putting in a touch here and rubbing out a patch there, but he never got much done. There were two reasons for this. First, it was because he was the sort of painter who can paint leaves better than trees. He used to spend a long time on a single leaf trying to get the shade and the sheen and the dewdrops on it just right. So, uh, so no matter how hard he worked, very little actually showed up on the canvas itself. The second reason was his kind heart. Nigel was constantly distracted by doing things uh, his neighbors asked him to do for them. In particular, his neighbor Parrish, uh, who did not appreciate Nigel's painting at all, asked him to do many things for him. One night when Nigel senses rightly that his time is almost up, Parrish insists that he go out into the wet and cold to fetch a doctor for his sick wife. As a result, he comes down with a chill and fever and while working desperately on his unfinished picture, the driver comes to take Nigel on the journey he has put off. When he realizes he must go, he bursts into tears. Oh dear, said poor Nigel, beginning to weep. And that's not even, f- uh, and it's not even finished. Some time after his death, 
the people who acquired his house noticed that on his crumbling canvas, his only one beautiful leaf had remained intact. It was put in the town museum and for a long while, leaf by niggle, the painting, leaf by niggle, hung there in, the, uh, in a recess and was noticed by a few eyes. But the story does not end there. So we'll come back to the story later on, um, at the end actually um, of the message. But it's, it's such a telling story where Niggle is, you know, describes us often so well. We, <laughs> we niggle away at things. We, we're excited about something. We really, the vision that we have in our hearts is big and, and often panoramic and um, it feels important to us. But so often there's the frustration of not being able to get it done. Um, firstly, just because we're unable to do justice to the vision we have in our heart and to what we feel in our hearts but also because there are so many distractions so many things go wrong in the world and we cannot get the work done that we feel we need to do and and we can relate to poor niggle's frustration um, both his excitement on the one hand about the project but also his frustration at not being able to let it uh, to get it done so you know the passage in 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 the early chapters of genesis that we're going to look at uh, it shows us a few things. It shows us, God shows us um, that our work can be rewarding. It shows us why our work will be frustrating and um, how our work can be redeemed. So our work can reflect and glorify God and lead to the same kind of satisfaction that God himself expressed in his work. Remember, uh, in the first chapter of Genesis, as God is creating, it constantly says, and God saw what he had done. And it was good. And then after the sixth day, after it created, after every day, it, it says that after the sixth day, after it created mankind, it says that God saw what he had done. It was very good. And it's as though God sort of looks back after every day and evaluates what he has done and enjoys, savors what he has done. And he's satisfied. He's happy with what he's accomplished. Um, and, and our work can have that. First notice that God works. Okay, in fact, the very first thing that we see God doing in the Bible is we see God working. Now, this is in stark contrast to, to almost all the other creation accounts of, you know, the Babylonians and the Mesopotamians and the, you know, Egyptians and so on, where um, gods create usually through a combination of violence and or sex um, and in contrast to that God creates by working uh, in most of the other traditions whether it's the Greek tradition or, or almost any other tradition work is actually seen as demeaning uh, work is something that the gods look down on in, in, in those traditions and they actually create mankind to do the work for them because it's sort of beneath them. They don't really want to do the work. In contrast to that, in the Bible, God dignifies work by working himself. And when we look at the kind of work that God does, we see that it actually dignifies all work and shows that all work is important. We see God, for instance, forming mankind out of the dust of the earth, out of the ground. God gets dirt under his fingernails. He's, he works in the ground. Now that's blue collar work. But God also um, 
plans um, and evaluates his work. He says, let us create man in our image. And then after he's created, he looks at man and says, hmm, very good. I'm happy with what I've done, uh, which is more white-collar work. So, so God does sort of a combination of blue-collar work and white-collar work. And we see Adam, when he starts working, he imitates God. And he also does blue-collar work in that he's a gardener. He works in the garden. He tends and cultivates the garden. But he also does white-collar work in the sense that he names all the animals. Um, you know, he, he, he gives names to the animals. He, he classifies the animals. He, he, he's, he's studying the, the natural creation that God created and he's classifying it and naming it. If we look at the New Testament, we see that Jesus also works and does both. He's, he's a carpenter, blue collar work, but he also teaches, which is more white collar work. Uh, so we see that God in the Bible dignifies all work and, and all work is significant and important because it's actually joining in what God is doing and participating in what God is doing. So um, notice firstly that God works, but then also notice how God works and, and that God's work becomes a model for us in terms of how we should work. Uh, we see firstly uh, what God does. God creates. Firstly, he creates the heavens and the earth out of nothing, and then he starts reforming and that's where i get my word reforming from he reforms what's already there in the rest of creation during the days of creation uh, for instance you know creating and calling plants out of the earth animals out of the earth fish you know into the sea birds in the air so he's, he's sort of reforming what's already there and we get to participate and follow that model and and just four things that i see god doing the third thing is he executes creation. But before he executes creation, he plans creation. Let us make man in our image. Um, he prepares for that creation. I remember in, in previous sessions we said that he creates atmosphere so we can breathe. He creates dry land for us to live on. He creates plants uh, and stuff for us to eat with fruit for us to eat. Uh, so he plans what he's going to do, how he's going to do it. He prepares for it. If God had prepared, say, if God had created mankind without first preparing by creating an atmosphere that we can breathe, he would have created us and we would have just died. So he plans, he prepares, then he executes, and then he evaluates. He looks at it and he says, it's very good. And and I think that's those are four steps that we can imitate God in, in any work that we do. Any work involves planning, preparation, execution and evaluation uh, and, and hopefully we can use that evaluation in our uh, in, in our next planning to do it even better so we follow we can follow God's example as a model he creates what he does is he created then how does he do it it says um, let me just read the first two verses of Genesis it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth now the earth was formless and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of god was hovering over the waters god, the, the earth was formless and empty um, and then god goes on and it takes this earth which is formless on the one hand and empty on the other hand and he starts forming it and filling it and and, and what we see is in the first three days of creation day one two and three god um 
creates form. He creates the atmosphere. He creates space, um, the heavens. He, he creates dry land. He creates the sea. So then he fills the atmosphere with birds. He fills, he fills first the space with sun, moon, and stars. Then he fills the atmosphere with birds, the sea with, with fish and, and all kinds of living creatures, the land with, with plants and animals, and eventually uh, humankind. So in, in day four to six, he fills what he had formed. And, and, and those two steps of forming and then filling also form a, 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 a wonderful sort of um, model for us to imitate in our work that we do. And what I want you to notice is how God um, created the heavens and the earth, um, but God intentionally put more in creation than he intended to bring out himself. So he created the heavens and the earth and everything after that was sort of reforming. That was the creation of everything out of nothing. And then he started creating, calling things out of what was already there, sort of reforming uh, what was already there. But, but only for six days and then he rested. And in those six days he showed us that we can draw things out of creation, that, that he's placed things in creation and, and he's called them forth, he's created them as an example for us. We cannot create something out of nothing. Um, in fact, we, in that sense, that's, that's what creation means. We cannot create because creation is creating something out of nothing. And creation is used often in these, this Genesis account, but always with God as the subject. But we can do what Tolkien calls sub-creation or reforming. Uh, taking what God has already created and forming it and filling it. So um, a few examples of that. So, so God intentionally put more in creation than he intended to draw out during the creation week so that we can participate in God's work of reforming or forming and filling uh, creation. So just, just an example in, in Genesis 4 from verse 19 to 21. It says, Lamech married two women. Uh, uh, one named Adar and the other Zillah. Adar gave birth to Jabal. Uh, he was the father of those who lived in tents and raised livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who played string instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. And, and, and here we see um, some of of the descendants of Adam and Eve starting to to do exactly that to to draw the things that God has put in creation out of creation so we see uh, you know one guy making tents and, and learning to sort of domesticate animals and and you know keep livestock uh, so he's, he's learning to bring out the best of what's in creation in that sense <clears throat> we see another guy who's a musician stringed instruments and pipes so he invented music um, and he became, when it says he was the father, it means he was the originator of something, um, of, of music. So he invented music. He discovered music. He discovered that, wow, if you take, you know, um, strings, if you make strings and you, you, you um, sort of bind them tightly to something and, 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 and you stroke them or pull, pluck at them, then they make a sound. They make a harmony. Uh, you, you discovered that you could 
um, use beats, all kinds of beats. If you blow on something, it can make sounds, and you can you can change the instrument, the pipes, so that it makes different harmonies. Discovered all of that and and became the father of music, as it were. Uh, and then there's another guy, Tubal Cain, who discovered bronze and iron. He was a metallurgist. Uh, he was a chemical engineer like me, and he discovered that you could form and forge this bronze and this iron, heat it up and form it into all kinds of tools. And what I want you to see is that God has placed all of that. If you think about um, CDs and DVDs, you think about um, mathematics, uh, electricity, atomic energy, oil, morphine, um, you know, all of those things God placed there in Creation. It was already there and God intended for us to eventually discover it and to learn to use it. And if you look at all those things, just for interest's sake, um, all of those things can be used for good or for evil. So when God created, uh, say, magnetic forces and you use CDs or DVDs with you know ones and zeros or positive and negative um, magnetic um, charges, you know, to, to make binary messages. Uh, God, in, God created that and he intended for us to discover that. And we can use those CDs or DVDs to make, you know, wonderful, to record wonderful teachings about the word of the Lord that build people up, that strengthen families, uh, that um, lead people into eternal life. Or you can use those same CDs or DVDs to, you know, record all kinds of horrible or sordid movies, pornography or... Um, you know, severe violence or ugly things that breaks down people's hearts and minds and souls. So it can be used for good or for evil. Uh, same with electricity. Morphine, for instance, can be used to, to um, you know, put someone to sleep or to deaden the, the pain that someone feels after an operation. Or it can be used as an addictive substance to drown out reality. Uh, so for good or for evil. But God placed it there for us to discover and he intended for us to then use it to, to form and fill, to, to develop what he has placed there, but in ways that reflect him. When we don't do our work in ways that reflect him, same when we don't rest, when we don't reproduce, when we don't relate in ways that reflect God, then things go desperately wrong. Then things fall apart. Things break. So our work is to participate in God's work of reforming. He intentionally didn't finish the work of creation. He, he, he created the heavens and the earth and then he started reforming it. But just for a week, just to set an example for us. But he left so much hidden, undiscovered for us to discover and to develop. Um, and, and there are all kinds of things. I, I mean, if you just think about the example we looked at uh, of music, string instruments or, or pipes or whatever, um, you know, Jubal might have made the string instrument, uh, discovered that you can do all kinds of rhythms and, and tunes and, and melodies on it, and then started writing songs, uh, not only the rhythmic tunes, but maybe adding words to it, and then starting to take some of his life experience and his knowledge and his imagination and putting that into the songs. 
And so using all kinds of raw material that God created um, and, 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 and that flow out of God's good creation and, and write songs um, with them. And, you know, whatever kind of work you're doing, you can, you, can, you can sort of fit it into that paradigm as well. So we must continue forming and filling what, what God has formed and filled. So, you know, God gives us an example of what he does, how he does it, but then also where he does it. He does it in, in creation. He's good creation. So we, we, we placed Adam in, in Eden, in the garden, and, and Adam, Adam worked the garden. He cultivated the garden, formed and filled it, plant, planted new seeds, uh, you know, um, managed the animals, ruled the animals uh, in it. Then it also, God also shows us through his example when he works, uh, the, the rhythms. We follow the same rhythms in our work as God. It was evening and morning. Evening, the time of sleep. Morning, the time of work. Um, there's that repeated refrain. And we spoke about this last time uh, in work and rest. Evening and morning. Resting and then working. But then also working for six days and resting one day. And then very importantly, and, and this is one of the most important things I want you to see is God also shows us why He does it, why He works. Firstly, God works to reveal Himself. And we spoke about this a little bit before in the, in the previous session. Everything that God created says something about God and reveals something about God, some aspect of God. So God reveals Himself through creation. He glorifies Himself through creation, especially through us as human beings. Uh, we created in his image, in his likeness. And like a statue is there to glorify the person um, that the statue is uh, made to resemble. So we were created to glorify God whom we're supposed to resemble. But then God also works to provide for us. When he created, he provided atmosphere for us to breathe. He created water for us to drink. He created plants for us to eat etc land for us to live on so he worked to provide for us and and finally um god also worked to create work for us now this is not an exhaustive list um but god worked to create work for us so he he intentionally didn't finish the work so that we can participate in his work of reforming of uh, as tolkien called it subcreation. um so, so th there are four things that our work should do. Our work should reveal God. Our work should glorify God. Our work should provide for others. And our work should create work for others. Obviously, that's not an exhaustive list. But those are some of the things that God shows us why we should work. And, and what the result of our work can and should be. Okay. So, reforming and ruling. Adam cultivating the land. Reforming. And ruling, caring for, for the land. Ruling it as God would have ruled it. Uh, of course, we have a long history of exploiting the earth, unfortunately, as human beings. And not ruling as God would have uh, ruled. And we see the negative consequences of that all around us, where the, the earth is actually devastated. But the second, so the first question is, you know, why can our work sometimes be so rewarding? And we see because we can imitate God in our, our work and, and experience the same satisfaction, sense of fulfillment that he experienced. But the second question is, why is our work then so often also frustrating, very frustrating? 
Um, you know, it's interesting to see that that God created um, Adam and Eve, male and female, and he created Adam out of the earth, the dust of the ground. And Adam's work, interestingly enough, is to work the soil. And he created Eve out of Adam. Adam, we all know the story of, of God putting Adam to sleep and taking a rib out of Adam and forming Eve out of that rib. Uh, that he had taken out of Adam and then waking Adam up and you know presenting him with with Eve and Adam breaking out in the first uh, into the first song that we have recorded in in scripture saying now this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone so we know that story so Adam was created out of the ground and and is sent interesting enough to go and work the ground Eve is created out of Adam in other words she's taken out of a human being and her main contribution or or her most significant and um, uh, what shall we call it um, unique contribution that she makes is that she gives birth. In other words, human beings are taken out of her. Very interesting. And then we see that things go wrong. Um, God says to Adam and Eve, you will not. You may eat of all of the trees, but not of the eat tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then they rebel against God, and they try and instead of representing God, they try and replace God, and things start going wrong, and they end up um, experiencing the curse instead of the blessing. Let me just read actually from Genesis three, from verse eleven. Uh, God comes to them; they're trying to hide from God, uh, and He said. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put with me, you, uh, you put here with me, sort of in a sense accusing God, this woman you gave me, um, she gave me some of the fruit uh, from the tree and I ate it. Then the, then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Uh, we all know the old joke. You know, Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the snake, and the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the, an, uh, the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and, her, and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbirth very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you have listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat uh, food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. And a very sad part of the Bible, where we see Adam and Eve sinning against God, and just the, the... crushingly negative consequences uh, of of their sin all of a sudden the ground is cursed because of adam it will produce thorns and thistles where you know before it, it easily produced good 
plants. Now all of a sudden it's producing bad plants, thorns and thistles, things that are useless, things that, that cut and, 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 and harm rather than, you know, that are helpful and that provide sustenance. Um, Eve will, will, will give birth, woman will give birth, but, but through pain um, and suffering. Uh, hard labor and you know even their relationship it says your, your your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you so so even their relationship with one another all of a sudden now there's 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 sin and there's 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 um yeah there's this brokenness breakdown in relationship not only breakdown in relationship with god but breakdown in relationship with one another and and we see a few areas in which all of a sudden things go wrong. All of a sudden they are fallen angels. Satan, the devil, comes in the form of a snake. And there's temptation. And all of a sudden we, we have the frustration of having to resist the temptation. We, we know the right to do, but we tempted to do the wrong. Because, you know, evil spirits, fallen evil spirits like Satan, uh, the devil, the serpent, come and tempt us. We have fallen co-workers. Adam, Adam's co-worker, his, his, his wife, Eve... Um, you know, she's fallen, so, so she f- fell for the temptation and she offered it to him. And uh, he fell for it as well. We have fallen hearts. Our own hearts um, easily fall into sin, easily make the wrong decisions, the, the foolish decisions instead of the wise decisions. And then also we have a fallen creation. The, the ground itself is cursed because of Adam and Eve. And uh, produces bad things. Things go wrong. There's entropy. Um, things fall apart. The center doesn't hold. So, so all of those things lead to frustration in our work. And, and, and I think it's beautiful how the Bible is both very optimistic on the one hand about work, but also very pessimistic. Ending, in the end, it's, it's very realistic about work. It's, it can be glorious. It can be so rewarding, but it, it can also be so frustrating. Uh, not only the actual work that we do, but, but working together can be so frustrating for us as, as fallen and broken human beings. Um, but then also, I mean, so what can we do? You know, we have to work in a, in a broken, fallen world. So what can we do? And the answer is our work can be redeemed. Like Nigel, uh, we work in, you know, there's, there's excitement about our work. We have, we have a vision of something beautiful, of something significant that we want to accomplish, but we also experience the frustration. So what do we do? Um, we, we, God comes and He actually redeems our work. Uh, it's hinted at here in, in, in Genesis. You know, the solution to the problem um, is a man, you know, in the form of Adam, the man who sinned. And it's, he's, he's the seed of the woman. It says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, her offspring. He, this man who is the offspring of a woman, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Some other offspring, some other descendant of Eve will ultimately crush the head of the serpent. But he will not only do that, he'll restore fallen, uh, he will not only defeat fallen angels, he'll restore fallen co workers, save fallen co workers. Um, redeem fallen hearts and ultimately restore a fallen creation to a new heaven and a new earth. And um, we see how Jesus came and he was born in a stable. (coughs) 
he was raiding in the backwaters of of Israel, which was a tiny little insignificant country even in those days. He learned a trade from his father. He, he his father seemed to die, have died relatively young, um, so he he as the eldest son had to take over caring for for the family. So he worked as a carpenter to care for his family. Um, he died on the cross. Ironically, a cross made with wood. As a carpenter, a woodworker, he died on a piece of wood. He was nailed to a piece of wood in order to die. And the work that he do, did sort of ended up being also the way in which he died. And he died, he ruled. He, I mean, he was the son of David, the rightful heir, who was anointed with the Holy Spirit. So they anointed king the messiah but he he ruled with a crown of thorns remember the thorns and the thistles in genesis 3 the curse of the thorns and the thistles he ruled with a crown of thorns and thistles on his head and he did all of that so that work can be redeemed for us so that we can ultimately work in this old creation but with the hope of a new creation uh, that lies ahead let me just continue the story of or just read the ending of the story, the summary of, of um, Leaf by Nigel. It's from a book that I want to recommend to you, um, Every Good Endeavor by, by Tim Keller. I found it very helpful in terms of uh, just a, a biblical gospel-centered view of work. Um, so, you know, Nigel has to, the driver comes and he has to go on this long journey which represents death. Um, and his, his painting is sort of hung in a, in a recess of, of the museum. But the story does not end there. After death, Nigel is put on a train towards the mountains of the heavenly afterlife. At one point on his trip, he hears two voices. One seems to be ju- justice, a severe voice, which says that Nigel wasted so much time and accomplished so little in life. But the other gentler voice, though it was not soft, which, uh, which seems to be mercy, counters that Nigel has chosen to sacrifice for others, knowing, that he was, knowing what he was doing. As a reward, when Nigel gets to the outskirts of the heavenly country, something catches his eye. He runs to it, and there it is. Before him stood the tree, his tree, finished. Its leaves, leaves opening, its branches growing and bending in the wind, that Nigel had so often felt or guessed, and yet had so often failed to catch. He gazed at the tree, and slowly he lifted his arms and opened them wide. It is a gift, he said. The world before, uh, the world before death, his old country, had forgotten Nigel almost completely, and there his work had ended up unfinished and helpful only to a very few. But in his new country, the permanently real world, he finds that his tree, in full detail and finished, was not just a fancy of his that he had died, uh, that had died with him. No, it was indeed part of the true reality that would live and be enjoyed forever. And so, because of what Jesus, the seed of the woman who crushed the head of the serpent, did in his work, especially as he worked that, that terrible and deadly and difficult work that he did for us on the cross with that crown of thorns on his head as our king, as our messianic representative, taking our place. He did that so that our work can have significance, so that we can 
not only represent God in our work, not only produce things for others, not only create work for others, but so that our work can in some sense last for eternity. And in eternity, what we do now will actually have an effect. It's like that um, famous movie Gladiator says, what we do in time echoes in eternity. Now, if what the Bible says is true, then that will really happen. There'll be a new creation which will be like the old creation, but just better with none of the brokenness, none of the sin, none of the death, uh, none of the, the bad things that we allowed in. And so we work with that hope, that hope that we can participate in God's creation, His reforming of creation, um, that we can somehow reflect God and glorify God in our work produce things and do things that benefit others and serve others um, and create work for them as well. And so participate in God's work as sub-creators, reforming and ruling as we try and represent Him. Father God, we thank You, Lord, for this amazing opportunity that we have to participate in the wonderful work that you started in creation and that you continued through the incarnation of Jesus Christ and that you will fulfill and bring to its climactic finish when Jesus returns and makes all things new. Thank you that we can be part of it and thank you that our part will be a significant part, a real part. Please help us to work, to participate in your work with that hope in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.